Welcome to Reframe Your Life, a podcast for women who are on a spiritual journey and want to reclaim a vibrant and authentic faith. I'm your host and fellow traveler, Sandy Reynolds. Hello, welcome to episode 96. And this week I'm going to try something a little bit different, so I'm hoping it works out well. I don't know if you know that years ago I worked in television. I used to be a researcher and writer for a television program. And sometimes we did something called live to tape, which was when we didn't record in front of a live audience, we would still record the episode as if it was live, so we wouldn't stop the cameras or rolling anything. Um, we just keep going even if there were things that weren't perfect. So rather than just stopping and editing and then re- releasing the program as a taped program, we did live to tape. So I'm kind of doing live to tape podcasting today, which is a way of saying I'm not going to edit this episode or do very minimal editing. I'll probably stop it here and there just to catch my breath. But I have a really short window of turnover for this episode and I want to get it out today. And so I think the only way to do that is to do it this way. So thank you in advance for bearing with me if there are any issues with this recording. I apologize. I think it's going to be fine though or I wouldn't be trying it. So this week we're doing Advent Week 3. And I'm really looking forward to talking to you about this. When I first started the Advent series, I had in mind that I wanted to reclaim these virtues. So many of us who have been part of faith communities are used to Advent and maybe you are no longer part of that tradition or have moved into something else and no longer practice Advent, but I think it's worth reclaiming and definitely focusing on. So week one, we focused on hope. Week two, we focused on love. And today we're going to focus on joy. And I didn't think joy was going to be such a big week for me when I started, but it's been really significant. I've spent a lot of time this week in preparation thinking about joy and how important it is. And I think this is going to be like one of the favorite episodes I've done in this series. So let's see how it goes. Three people this week in my circle have had heart attacks and that's really kind of crazy. So one man was a very close friend of my mom's and he actually had a massive heart attack a couple days ago and passed away. He was a elderly man but still very shocking for his wife and for his family. One of my closest friends is currently at the bedside of her husband and he also had um, a fairly significant heart attack and is being monitored in the hospital and she is spending time at his bedside just waiting for a more thorough investigation into what happened and what kind of treatment and what the prognosis is for him. And then my niece's father-in-law is in a medically induced coma this week after a heart attack. And so it's an interesting time to focus on joy when I just feel surrounded by so much pain and suffering and people close to me 
going through such difficult times. And perhaps even more worrisome for me, and maybe the real reason why I need to focus on joy this week, I had a biopsy yesterday and I'm a little anxious about it. No, more than a little anxious about it. I'm quite anxious about it. I think I have some medical anxiety. I get very anxious when I have to have tests done and I am waiting for results. So it's a good week to lean into joy and I think it's a necessity right now. It's interesting at this time of year when all around us it's all about happy holidays and Merry Christmas and everything is sparkly and magical and every TV program around Christmas seems to be focused on very happy occasions and beautiful snowfalls and perfect gift choices and all of those things that we think of with Christmas to think about joy as something that is a way to get through suffering or to approach suffering in our lives. So how about you? Are you worrying about anything in your lives right now? Is there anything that is weighing you down and causing you to feel a little bit of stress and anxiety. Maybe you've got some family relationships that are stressful or financial problems, or maybe you've got your own health struggles in your life, or maybe there's work issues for you and you're kind of feeling heavy about something in your life. Whatever it is, I'm wondering if I'm not alone in needing to focus on joy right now. So would you say your life is characterized by joy? Or would you say you'd like a little bit of more joy in your life? I think I'd like more joy in my life, although I think I've definitely grown in the area of joy in my life. Do you think it's possible to have joy in the face of suffering? Or is that asking too much of the walking wounded in our lives? It's something I thought about with this podcast because I'm going to talk a lot about suffering and joy. And I know that when you're grieving and you're in the midst of darkness in your life, the last thing you need is someone telling you you need to be joyful. And so I just want to say right off the top that that is not my intention and I'm not here trying to exhort you or guilt you or shame you into feeling joy if you are depressed or anxious or fearful or suffering in some way in your life. So please don't read that into it. I think that there are times though when we can lean into joy and that's what I want to help cultivate in my life and in your help you in your life as well. Most of what I talk about this week has been heavily influenced by a book I just finished reading and I'm currently going through it and making notes. I got this book out of the library and I'm definitely going to purchase a copy of it for myself. I'm just trying to decide whether I want to get a hard copy or a electronic version of the book. I think I'd want to share it so I'm leaning towards the hard copy but the book is called The Book of Joy and it was written by Douglas Abrams and it's based on a week that he spent with His Holiness the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu 
And I have found it to be a delightful book that brings together two of our world's great spiritual teachers around a subject that is common to every religion and faith that I know of, and that is joy. And I'm going to invite you to do some very specific things to practice joy this week. But first, let's start with defining it. In Daring Greatly, Brene Brown notes, I was startled by the fact that research participants consistently describe both joyfulness and gratitude as spiritual practices that were bound to a belief in human connectedness and a power greater than us. Their stories and descriptions expanded on this, pointing to a clear distinction between happiness and joy. Participants described happiness as an emotion that's connected to circumstances, and they described joy as a spiritual way of engaging with the world that's connected to practicing gratitude. And my reading has played out the same way. There's a distinction between happiness and joy. And joy seems to be something more spiritual and more deeper within us. And it is connected to gratitude. And we're going to explore that a little bit further. Douglas Abrams notes that research done at the Institute of Neuroscience and Psychology at the University of Glasgow suggests that there are only four fundamental emotions, three of which are considered negative emotions. So those are fear, anger, and sadness. And the only positive emotion is joy or happiness. So exploring joy is nothing less than exploring what makes human experience satisfying. One of the things I find interesting in thinking about joy is this idea that it's a way through suffering and that it comes through shifting our focus away from ourselves and our suffering onto compassionate concern for others. Happiness research is similar. The three factors that have the greatest influence on increasing our happiness are our ability to reframe our situation more positively. So you know I like that one, right? Reframing our situation more positively. Secondly is our ability to experience gratitude. And third is our choice to be kind and generous. The Dalai Lamas discuss joy as being deep happiness. He said that happiness can come through the enjoyment of pleasure, but on a deeper level. It can come through our mind through love, compassion, and generosity. What characterizes happiness at this deeper level is that sense of fulfillment that you experience. It's lasting happiness. So I like that idea that joy is lasting happiness. It's a deep happiness. In the Christian tradition, joy comes through faith in God, which brings inner strength and inner peace. For a non-theist like the Dalai Lama, they believe that they must develop the deeper level of joy through training their mind. But I think that even in the Christian tradition, there is a belief in training our mind to experience inner strength and inner peace. Joy is not a feeling. It's a way of approaching the world. Desmond Tutu says, our greatest joy is when we seek to do good for others. 
but not at the expense of our own well-being. And that's the paradox here. So it's not about just doing for others. It's about also some self-care and taking care of ourselves. But as we focus on others, we do experience more joy and happiness in our own lives. In the book of joy, the focus is how to discover joy in the face of suffering. And part of that is the understanding of the obstacles to joy. In the book of joy that I've been referring to, the focus is how to discover joy in the face of suffering. And part of that is understanding the obstacles to joy. And so I'm going to touch on them briefly. And I do encourage you to take note of the ones that stand out for you that you might want to do a little bit more exploration of. So the first one is fear, stress, and anxiety. So if you are experiencing fear and stress and anxiety in your life, and really who isn't, then you have an obstacle to joy in your life. I love that the Dalai Lama spoke about stress and anxiety using the language of expectations. He said stress and anxiety often come from too much expectation and too much ambition then we don't fulfill the expectation or achieve the ambition and so we experience frustration. Right from the beginning it's a self-centered attitude. I want this, I want that. Often we are not being realistic about our own ability or about objective reality. When we have a clear picture of our own capacity we can be realistic about our effort then there is a much greater chance of achieving our goals. In many cases, our stress is caused by our own expectations and our own ambition. So you know I love that, right? Because you know that my husband wrote a book on expectations called What Do You Expect? And it is available on Amazon or at our website, whatdoyouexpect.com. So feel free to get in touch about that. We I'm just doing a little shameless promotion here. Side note, um, we do workshops and speaking around managing expectations and it doesn't matter what kind of an organization you're a part of, managing expectations is part of what you do when you work with people, what we all do. But managing expectations and understanding expectations can also help us with fear, stress and anxiety. And so I want to just tell you, if you're exploring fear, stress, and anxiety, think about it from an expectation standpoint, but also just sit with it a little bit and try to find out what the root of your fear, stress, and anxiety is. The next cause of or obstacle to joy is frustration and anger. And it's also an area linked to expectations. You can often trace back your anger to expecting someone or something to happen that didn't happen. So you think of someone's going to do something and they didn't, or they're not going to do something and they did. Somehow they've disappointed you and the response is anger. Fear is also at the heart of anger. We fear that we're not going to get what we want. We fear that we're not going to get what we need. We believe we deserve something and we're not going to get it. We might fear we're not loved, not respected, or not being included. We can admit our fear and vulnerability and have compassion for ourselves. 
So listen to your anger. Don't ignore it. Reflect on what it's causing it and try to understand it. And of course, there are different types of anger. There is a righteous anger. And I love how Desmond Tutu differentiates it from other anger as anger that is focused on those one sees as being harmed and who need our help. It's a tool of justice, and I think of people I know who work with refugees and other marginalized people in our society, and the anger they feel when they see laws and other limitations that are causing more pain for people. So, of course, there is different types of anger. There's uh, righteous anger, and then there's the run-of-the-mill fury that we often feel when people don't live up to our expectations or disappoint us. So again, think about that in your own life. The next thing is sadness and grief. And one of the things that I learned this week is that sadness is the longest lasting of our emotions. Sadness can stay with us for days. There's no easy way through sadness and grief. Desmond Tutu suggests the way through sadness and grief from a great loss is to use it as a way to generate a deeper sense of purpose. These two wise men have a lot to say on this topic, and I hesitate to say much about it at all. I do know that grief is a reminder of the depth of our love, and I've witnessed people who have experienced great loss recover joy in their lives. I also know that it is a journey, and it's something that you have to work through, and that it doesn't happen quickly. So if this is your journey right now, I have hope that you will find joy in your sadness. It may take some time, but I do believe it is possible. The next obstacle is very close to grief. It's despair. When we look around the world and we see all of the suffering around us, the destruction of the, of the environment, climate change, the political crap that's going on, it's easy to move into despair, to not be able to see a way through it. Desmond Tutu says despair can come from deep grief. Resignation and cynicism are easy, easier, more self-soothing postures that do not require the raw vulnerability and tragic risk of hope. To choose hope is to step firmly into the howling wind bearing one's chest towards the elements knowing that in time the storm will pass. Despair turns us inward. Hope sends us into the arms of others. And I know we talked about hope last week. And if you didn't listen to that podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But despair can definitely get in the way of joy in our lives. It can be very difficult to overcome. But we overcome it by looking out and not looking in and letting ourselves become overwhelmed. Loneliness is another joy obstacle. I've been reading a book called Lost Connections this year. It's been a slow read for me. I keep getting sidetracked and coming back to it, but the author, Johan Hari, has studied anxiety and depression and the increase of it in our world and discovered that Lack of connection in many areas of our lives has contributed to this situation. Suffice it to say that loneliness is an obstacle to joy in our lives. Meaningful connections are important to us 
and like other points in this conversation, focusing on others and shifting our focus away from our own concerns can help us become less lonely. As we open our hearts to others, we start to share or start to find connections. So if you are lonely, it's possible that you are also not feeling a lot of joy in your life. And it's different to be alone and to be lonely. Many people spend time alone and actually find themselves nourished in spending time alone. But loneliness is feeling isolated. And if you're feeling isolated, I do want to encourage you to think about how you can connect and what connections in your life you could focus on. Envy is another joy obstacle. And I find it really easy to compare myself to other people. And of course, other people often look like they have more than me or less than me. I can feel like I'm better than some people and not quite as good as other people. And it can become a real trap. Every religion talks about envy. It's destructive to our spirit. And yet we live in a world where we are constantly showing and being shown images of beautiful curated lives. I love Instagram. I'm on Instagram every day, but I know how many people are projecting an image of themselves. Even their authenticity is crafted for their audience and the words that they use and the way that they talk about their pain is very, very specific and it doesn't feel really authentic to me. But isn't it refreshing when someone is actually honest with you about the reality of their lives? I remember talking to someone who had just come back from vacation and her pictures were fantastic on Instagram. I said to her, it looks like you are having, you had a wonderful vacation. And you know what she said to me? She said, it was terrible. It was the worst vacation we'd ever had. We fought the entire time. We didn't get along with the couple we went with. It was just tension and or one argument after another. She said it felt like a waste of time and money and I'd never do it again. And when I commented to her that it didn't look like that on Instagram, she said, well, I didn't feel a need to share what a shitty time we were having. So don't trust what you see on social media and certainly be careful that you don't let it feed your envy. Just realize that people are choosing the pictures they want you to see. And there are lots of things that we're not taking pictures of. There's a reason I don't like doing video and that's because half the time I'm working in sweats and a t-shirt at home with no makeup on and I probably haven't showered like right now as I'm recording this. I'm not going to post a picture of that and it's not because I don't want you to think I get up every day and put my hair and makeup on but if I'm going to post a picture I'm going to post one that I like and this isn't it. So don't let social media feed your envy. There's a Buddhist practice. If someone has something we want, say a bigger house, we can consciously take joy in their good fortune by telling ourselves, good for him. Just like me, he too wants to be happy. He too wants to be successful. He too wants to support his family. May he be happy. I congratulate him and want him to have more success. It's called Mudita and it recognizes that life is not a zero-sum game. 
there is not just one slice of cake in which someone else taking a big slice means we get less. Mudita sees joy as limitless and is based on the recognition of our interdependence. And I think that's probably true of other belief systems as well that there's this element of not envying other people and actually wishing other people well. There's nothing beneficial about wanting other people to fail. The next joy obstacle is suffering and adversity. And there's an irony that we can experience more joy in the face of great adversity than when life is seemingly easy and uneventful. The path to joy doesn't lead us away from suffering and adversity, but through it. Suffering gets you closer to the truth. It gets you closer to what really matters. It clears away all the stuff we get trapped in our daily lives. And we think of how many great spiritual leaders experience suffering in their lives. In suffering, we can either become bitter and angry, or we can find a way through it and become joyful. Suffering and adversity refine us. Suffering helps us to become more compassionate to others. I don't know if you remember, I don't know, maybe it was about five years ago, maybe longer, there was a Pixar movie called Inside Out. And it was the story of a little girl who was moving. She moved to a new community and she was experiencing pain and suffering and disappointment and alienation and sadness about leaving her community and having to move across the country. And her parents had worked really hard at making sure that she had a happy childhood. And I know so many moms, I was the same way. You put such a weight on yourself, such a burden on yourself to have perfect experiences and perfect lives for your kids and we shelter them from suffering we shelter them from pain we don't let them know the real harsh realities of life and we feel like our job is to protect them and that somehow in protecting them that they're going to become more resilient but that isn't what happens they actually like this girl in the movie don't know what to do with their feelings of sadness and anger and frustration. They've never experienced them. So when they come and when life does disappoint them, and at some point it will, they're sidelined. They don't know what to do because they've lived in a bubble all their lives. And so I think there's a great message in that movie. And there's a message in for us as parents and grandparents and people of influence in children's lives to not convey that life is problem free or that the good life is problem free. That's not realistic. We want to prepare them, let them feel disappointment, let them feel pain because they will at some day, but teach them that there is a way through that and that they can experience joy even when things aren't going perfectly in their lives. So the last area I want to look at as an obstacle to joy is illness and fear of death. So this is a big one for me and uh, one I've had to deal with in my life. When I first was diagnosed with melanoma five years ago, almost six years ago, I was devastated. It 
caused me a great deal of stress and anxiety. And I was really unprepared for how I would be rocked to my core by that diagnosis. It made me feel better to read that Desmond Tutu also says that the thought of his demise was something that brought him a great deal of anxiety. I love being alive and illness is a great source of suffering and facing death is very difficult and even now as I wait for biopsy results I feel the anxiety and I feel the fear. The author of the book of joy Douglas Abrams talks about something he learned from a physician. The distinction between healing and curing. Curing involves the resolution of the illness but is not always possible. Healing is coming to wholeness and could happen whether or not the illness was curable. I think I had internalized so many messages around illness that when I was diagnosed with cancer, I was devastated. It felt like some kind of personal failure on my, on my part. In our culture, we're given the message that if we take care of our health, if we make the right choices, if we eat properly, if we go to the gym, if we do all these things, then we will live a long and healthy life. And that's, that's not true. That's, it's bullshit. And you can be doing all the right things in your life and you can get sick. You can get hit by a car. You can fall down the stairs. All kinds of things can happen. And so it's great, it's wise to take care of your health, to exercise and to eat healthy, but it's definitely not a guarantee. And if you think it is, when you have illness, you're going to have a very difficult time accepting it. I also experienced a lot of messages in the church around illness, that it was a result of sin in our life, that it was a sign of God's judgment, and also that it was some sort of failure and that definitely it was something that we wanted people to get rid of in their lives. And I think I'd been holding on to that teaching when I was diagnosed. I had to really confront that and let go of it. If there's a way to overcome the situation, then instead of feeling sadness, too much fear or too much anger, make an effort to change the situation. If there's nothing you can do to overcome the situation, then there's no need for fear or sadness or anger. So let me just say that again. It's a teaching I've been holding on to this week. If there's a way to overcome the situation, then instead of feeling sadness or too much fear or too much anger, make an effort to change the situation. If there's nothing you can do to overcome the situation, then there's no need for fear or sadness or anger. So that's the obstacles of joy. I want to go through now what was outlined in this book as the eight pillars of joy. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly because I don't want this episode to get too long. I want to give you just the highlights of these things, these eight pillars, and again, give you a few ideas of how you can uh, use them in your life and think about which one resonates with you and which one you might want to practice as a spiritual discipline this week. So the first one is perspective and this one involves looking at your situation from many different angles. So it's that whole idea of reframing it. 
Try thinking about the problem from different perspectives, from someone else's perspective, maybe from the perspective of time. What would that problem look like a week from now, a year from now, 10 years from now? Think of your life from God's perspective. Think about your life from someone else that loves you's perspective. When I look back at the things in my life that were the biggest challenges, and I'm sure this is true for just about everyone, I also believe that those great challenges were my biggest times of growth. So think about your perspective on things and what would it look like for you five years from now? And how would you have liked to have gone through this? So that's a great way to reframe and to start to find joy in your life is to change your perspective. The next one is humility. And this is involves remembering that you're just one of billions of people. And there are many people on this planet. We're all connected. We share a common bond in our humanity. Think about all the people who have been significant in your life and think of all the people whose work has impacted you. Think about the people who you are a recipient of their work, maybe the farmers who provide your food or the healthcare workers, and take some time to experience appreciation for them. Humility has to do with realizing that it's not all up to you and that everything doesn't depend on you. And if you do think that and you let your ego get in the way, then you will rob yourself of joy. Another pillar of joy is humor. Learn to laugh at yourself. Don't take yourself so seriously. I was laughing yesterday with a friend about my body scan. So I've had to strip down twice this week in front of 20-somethings. Uh, one was a intern uh, at my dermatologist's office yesterday. And I don't shave my legs in the winter. So I feel like my skin has enough issues without adding shaving to dry weather. You know, my skin is just dry and flaky and I just want to give it a break. So usually I do before I go for a scan, but I completely forgot. And so there I was, you know, basically naked being examined by this young woman with like the hairiest legs I've ever had in my life. And I actually just laughed and I thought, I'm not even going to apologize. I'm just going to use it as a moment to own who I am and to not feel like I have to apologize for who I am. And I just thought it was really funny though. And it did lighten the moment for me. Acceptance is another pillar. You need to accept reality. And sometimes you need to do a reality check. It's part of the reframe your life model. Fighting reality is futile. And there are ways to help you get acceptance or get to acceptance. We don't instantly accept bad news and part of grief and part of our way of protecting ourselves is denial or just numbness when we get bad news and sometimes we can get stuck there and you don't want to get stuck there you need to accept things in your life so this week is there something you're avoiding facing in your life are there bills you're not looking at is there a relationship you're avoiding is there a situation that you just don't want to accept? 
If you don't accept the reality in your life, you are not going to experience joy in a deep level, in the deep places of your life. The next thing is forgiveness. And this is a huge topic. Sometime I should explore this on a podcast. I think it would be worth an entire episode. But when you can move to a place of forgiving, you can experience joy. Forgiveness doesn't mean accepting wrongdoing. It's separating the actor and the action. I remember when I was able to forgive my grandfather who had sexually abused me growing up. I had no problem taking him to court and filing a victim impact statement. I realized that he was a sick person, but as I worked through forgiveness, I also realized that he wasn't completely evil and that other people had a different experience with him. And it was very freeing for me. I didn't hold him responsible for my life. I did hold him responsible for his actions and the impact he had had on my life. Unforgiveness keeps us trapped in the past. Forgiving allows us to move forward. And it's not an easy thing, but if you are holding unforgiveness towards someone, if you're in that place where you just cannot move past it, It really is causing you to not experience joy in your life. And I invite you to get a therapist or a spiritual director or someone who can walk you through that without shame or guilt, but just help you move to a place of forgiveness in your life. It takes time and there's no quick way to do it. But even as you start with the intention to forgive, you'll find that you are more joyful in your life. I promise you that. Gratitude. We've talked a lot about gratitude and that's another pillar of joy. I try to practice gratitude every day. When I lie down in bed at night, I think about all of the people that I'm grateful for, the things that... um, I'm thankful for in my life. I just run through the day and I practice gratitude. And I tell you, no matter what kind of a day you've had, when you focus on the things that you can be grateful for, you'll find that you have just an uptake of joy in your life. You'll feel better. You'll feel happier. I find going to bed, I go to bed with a better frame of mind. The next one is compassion. And in the book, A Fearless Heart, How the Courage to be Compassionate Can Transform Our Lives, Jinpa writes, compassion is a sense of concern that arises when we are confronted with another suffering and feel motivated to see that suffering relieved. Compassion is what connects the feeling of empathy to acts of kindness. I like that. Compassion is what connects the feeling of empathy to acts of kindness generosity and other expressions of altruistic tendencies. So empathy is more of a feeling and compassion is the action we take based on that feeling. So who could you help today? What's something you could do that would be an act of compassion for someone in your life? The next one is similar in its generosity. And in Buddhist teachings, there are three kinds of generosity. There's material giving, giving freedom from fear, which can involve protection, counseling, or solace, and spiritual giving, which can involve giving your wisdom, moral, and ethical teaching, 
and helping people to be more sufficient and happier. I love that and I think there are parallels in my faith tradition and in other teachings as well. But the point is we can all be generous. It doesn't have to be financial generosity. You could be giving someone freedom from fear by just helping someone, um, talking through things with them, offering them protection or counseling or a place to stay. Or you can be sharing your wisdom and teaching with other people so that you can help them in their lives. And that is a way of spiritual giving. The point is we all can be generous. So I just want to walk through those again. And if you want to cultivate joy this week, think about your perspective, humility, humor, acceptance, forgiveness, gratitude, compassion, and generosity. I suggest you light a candle and just think about those things, pray or meditate and think about how you can shift your perspective, how you can find humility and humor in a situation. If you need to accept something, offer forgiveness, practice gratitude, compassion, and generosity, and go find joy. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. And please drop by sandyreynolds.com and check out some of the courses that I have to offer, sign up for my newsletter, share this episode with a friend, and like it on iTunes. Leave me a review. Thank you.